0: And that's you know the whole thing with burnout to me is um, is really the the way they're addressing quote burnout is very misplaced because the focus is all on physicians becoming more resilient, physicians you know being able to adapt more. In the old days, like old old days, you know physicians would burn out at the end of their career because. They had spent so much time taking care of their patients.
1: This is Christy Gupton, and I'm an employee benefits advisor. I understand how hard it is to embrace change when you have employees depending on you for a great health plan. This podcast is uniquely designed to answer your most pressing questions. Let's get right to it. Almost daily, we see some new healthcare merger or acquisition hit the news, and Almost every time, the merging entities tell you the same tired excuses. They're going to be able to save money due to economies of scale. Yada, yada, yada. What they never tell you is that those savings won't trickle down to the healthcare consumer. As a matter of fact, when you dig deeper, you realize the prices actually go up for the grassroots consumer. Oh, and by the way, that consumer is also usually the local taxpayer. What a gut punch for those folks. Their healthcare costs went up. Their taxes probably went up. And the new merged healthcare entity? Oh, they're exempt from paying taxes. When you realize what just happened, the feeling of betrayal washes all over you. But you realized it too late. Well, a group of independent doctors want to take back their autonomy and reverse the rush to consolidation in healthcare. That trend reversal will bring improvements to the patient experience, allow doctors to practice the way they were taught in medical school, and still be able to embrace economies of scale. What an encouraging and refreshing New Year's resolution. Coming soon is an in-person networking event in Columbia, South Carolina through the IndyDocs organization. Join us on January 20th, 2024 at Riverbank Zoo starting at 9 a.m. This meeting is for all kinds of stakeholders, doctors, employers, health plans, even legislators. Go to IndyDocs.com to get registered. That's I N D E D O cs.com. I look forward to seeing you there. Okay, welcome, Dr. Marcelo Huckman. Um, I really appreciate you joining me today. We have a very cool conversation that is going to transpire. You know, in the industry, we've been watching so much vertical integration and consolidation and a lot of that is really concerning to not just me but a lot of the people that i interact with in our industry because i believe we we've seen and understand that bigger doesn't necessarily equal better in healthcare. what's encouraging though is to start to see at the grassroots level this sort of reversal of that trend on in little pockets of geography, where independent doctors are taking back their autonomy and saying, you know what, I don't need to be part of a big um, conglomerate or a big vertical stack. I'm going to go back to being independent. And so you've propped up or uh, uh, founded or co-founded or started up indie docs and I want you to tell us first of all a little about yourself as a as a starting point and how you um you know came to this point and why you decided to start indieDocs
0: sure well thank you for for having me all the things that you said are, can't disagree with any of them yet so <laughs> um But uh, I'm a facial plastic and reconstructive surgeon. I have a um, mixed practice of um, elective cosmetic surgery in adults, which is basically patients expecting a quote for services and knowing exactly what the price is. And they go and shop and compare, and then they come back and pay us directly. I also have a... Another portion of my practice was, uh, which is pediatric vascular anomalies, so children with vascular tumors and vascular birthmarks and a variety of head and neck masses and such. Virtually 100 percent of which are Medicaid third-party payer, you know, insurance-related cases. And then um, I I do a fair amount of pro bono work, so I I am able to give um, our services for free because of having control of my practice and a facility in which I can do procedures. And finally, we see lots of patients who have insurance who, you know, are are either unable or unwilling to use it because their the nature of their programs or their plans are such that it's just all coming out of pocket anyway. So we have to be transparent about costs and all that. So The lens through which I look at and then just add to that, I was for 10 years, I was full time in academic medicine. So I've seen the employment version. I've seen the, you know, all the different lenses through which I can see what patients go through and what doctors are exposed to. So so the reason that I became more and more involved in in sort of the I guess the policy part of things was as president of the Charleston County Medical Society. I had to come up with a, an agenda. I mean, so we had to come, we had to do something, you know, and uh, so I wanted to reinvigorate that. So one of the things that we took on was, you know, the repeal of the certificate of need law in South Carolina. And,
1: Congratulations um, on that. That is no small feat. And being just your neighbor to the north in North Carolina, I'm a little envious that you pulled it off. But <laughs> I, I'd love to talk more about that in detail. But keep sure. going. I'm sorry for the interruption.
0: No, 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 that's yeah, absolutely. So that was, and the reason that was so of such interest was because it was a very clear example of where doctors had lost control over where. And what they could do. You know, so the CON, for those who don't know, you know, was basically a, a permission slip that the state had to give for a whole list of health services and facilities. You know, we have the ninth most restrictive in the country. And that is bad enough, but the other part about it was that if those who already held a CON certificate. I so, for example, if you wanted to open up an imaging center, you had to apply, and then the people who had an imaging center CON could contest your application and say, "We don't need that. We're already here." And uh, it became a very lengthy, very expensive process, and it it really intimidated lots of people from even trying because it's just very difficult to litigate all that and expensive and most physicians don't have that but it's like Lowe's telling Home Depot that they can't open across the street and actually being able to keep them from you know but the reason they open across the street is because it's better for both companies and for us the public right so anyway so that was we there's a law in South Carolina that's so we thought, well, let's go after it. And it had been a dead issue for decades, and we got it done in, in five years. So now that opens the door in South Carolina for anybody who is willing to risk and develop a birthing center or a drug rehab center. or I, I mean, it's it's really wide open now.
1: I'm sorry. Was it like a full repeal? So I was long? just going to
0: say, so it is. It is everything. The CON has been repealed for everything except for nursing homes and hospitals. But hospitals, the CON goes away in a year and a half. So a year and a half from now, the CON will only apply to nursing homes. And there's no real reason that nursing homes were carved out other than purely political. It was just one of those things that nobody wanted to to deal with, yeah. so it was just left out. But a year and a half from now, somebody wants to come in and build a micro hospital or, or, you know, a small hospital, they can do that without having a CON. So the other thing that I was involved in was during COVID, you know, independent practices, we couldn't get PPE, you know, all of a sudden from one day to the other, Our medical suppliers were diverting everything to the hospitals because, I mean, there was a huge need over there, but it left us kind of high and dry, you know. So we, um, again, in Charleston, we started this project, and in six weeks, we had a website. We had all the practices in, in the state coordinated, and it was called Action PPE, we figured if we aggregated our orders, we could then be noticed by the companies as opposed to my small little order or your small little order. But so, anyway, so we were very lucky we got matched up with really good people and, you know, who knows who and that kind of stuff. And uh, make a long story short, we then that program morphed into a national program at the end of COVID when we shut it down we had distributed 6 million units yeah. of PPE in about 30 something states. Point of that is it just reinforced my conviction that the people affected by the problem are the ones most likely to know how to fix it, right? So instead of somebody else telling us how to do it or you know that kind of thing, and cooperating and <clears throat> aggregating resources doctors have a whole lot more power and a whole lot more leverage than we give ourselves credit for so those two things really just reinforced my interest and and those kinds of things and then the opportunity to be president of indie docs came about i did not found it the organization was founded several years ago but kind of languished and then COVID really put an end to it but so we've reinvigorated it so that's kind of my 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 goal and And that's what we're trying to do is to create a statewide organization of independent physicians, doctors who have ownership of at least some part of their practice and start promoting or encouraging physicians to take up these alternative models, you know, and then um, really importantly, educate the public and uh, tell them this is out there and the more they demand their carpal tunnel to be released in a, you know, office surgery, you know, room rather than in a hospital, the more those will be around, right? So the whole supply and demand thing, if you get the patients start asking for it and demanding for it, and then people will start building it without the CON, we have that opportunity now. Another thing that we're going to be working on is non-compete clauses. Oh, nice exempting physicians from non-compete clauses as a condition of employment so that's one thing that again restricts a physician's ability to practice wherever he or she wants right but most importantly it restricts patients rights to follow the doctor of their choice because if you leave this clinic or this system or whatever, and you have a non-compete clause and you have to now move 30 miles away or you know whatever the, the terms are, for a given patient, that may not be feasible, reasonable, right? Plus okay. they want to follow you. You, They like you as their doctor, right. but then they just kind of get assigned a new doctor within the system, you know? And uh, so the patient's rights are being abridged without them even having to say. so. Mm-hmm. So that's an exciting thing, which I'm very optimistic that that will happen in South Carolina. So
1: that's very exciting because as we talked about before with all this consolidation going on, a lot of physicians want to leave. They've been, they've been under the thumb of the, you know, the bigs for a while. So under their breath, they've been wanting to leave their big system employers and go back out on their own. But like you mentioned, when you have to, um, move uproot your your home and your family and and your whole support system and environment Uh, it's a it's such a big barrier that it prevents otherwise uh, really great physicians from going back out on their own where they have the ability to make their own way and do patient care in a way that they feel good about i mean it's not a secret that physician suicide tops the list of, you know, the different types of professionals. I don't know why, but dentistry topped the list prior to COVID for some reason. I don't know why a dentist would feel um, so depressed that they would need to take their life. But an unfortunate thing when physicians top that list, we started to finally have the conversation around Instead of the triple aim, let's really talk about the quadruple aim because when you have an overworked, stressed out, frankly underpaid physician who's being required to to perform assembly line medicine, let's just face it. That's not good for anyone, not the patient, nor the physician, nor outcomes, nor the payer, nor any, anything. I mean, you could just, we, we could talk about this for hours, but I'm just saying the I'm trying to call attention to the fact that the big corporate structures and the massive vertical integration and stacking up of assets that accrue you know, basically to the top of a big ivory tower where no one has, you know, the ability to really advocate for themselves or for their patients. It's just all a trend, an unfortunate trend. And to see independent docs sort of stand up and push back against that and have the infrastructure through your organization to to start afresh with sort of going back to the, I'm sure it was the way they Wanted to practice all along.
0: The things that you just mentioned are all tied to, you know, one of the things that um, that you lose immediately <clears throat> once you become employed, and I really, re- regardless of how, is if you don't have, you lose a sense of autonomy. You lose a sense of being able to decide. And make decisions that are not being influenced by a different agenda, and that's you know the whole thing with burnout to me is um, is really the the way they're addressing quote burnout is very misplaced because the focus is all on physicians becoming more resilient, physicians you know being able to adapt more. In the old days, like old old days. know physicians would burn out at the end of their career because they had spent so much time taking care of their patients you know and they were going to the hospital and they were on call and they were doing this but at the end of the day they loved it you know they were just physically burned out but (laughs) mentally very stimulated and you know now you see people again you know I, i just don't i think the term has gotten so cliche but you now see medical student burnout. I mean, they haven't even started, <laughs> you know? and they're but they're already getting a sense of what it's like to have to make decisions because the EMR is telling you to do one thing, and you can't find something in there that really matches what you need to do or want to do, and you're having to make decisions constantly that just kind of go against what you're own decision would have been, you know, so that's the real burnout. And I think the answer to that is for physicians to reclaim their autonomy, be in charge of your practice, be in charge of, you know, your professional life, you know, and, um, and you can do that. I mean, there are, you know, it's become almost, uh, you know, there's this fear of, how can I possibly duplicate this massive system. And the reality is you don't have to, you know, yeah. you don't have to have, you know, all this huge infrastructure to be able to practice medicine. And there are alternative ways to do that. And that's part of what Indie Docs is about is creating a, a tent, a, a, an organization, regardless of specialty, um, where we can, you know share experiences. We can show those that don't know how. We can you know educate the public. We can advocate through legislative things, you know, for for ourselves. and um, but it's all a group of people who have who are like-minded, mm-hmm. which is what's really nice about this this idea is that there there are all people who kind of think the same way about how important it is to be independent, you know, to be in charge to own your own thing and take responsibility and accountability for, but it feels so much better. You know, it feels so much better.
1: And I think it's really important to sort of have your tribe, right? Because it's easy for people who think a certain way to be gaslighted by the, the big corporate entities that have their own agenda that might be contrary to yours. I mean, I'm even concerned about medical schools that are now, and I only know of one, but it still concerns me, but a medical school that's essentially owned by two hospital systems. Mm. So in my mind, it's like they're growing their own Stepford doctors, you know, robot doctors that are trained from from medical school all the way up into residency and beyond to serve the ultimate agenda of the corporate structure
0: right so and- <laughs> th- now you- what you're saying this is exactly true and that's one of the things that we're focusing on at least in 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 the state is to get medical students and residents and fellows to join indie docs it's ten dollars <laughs> you know for <laughs> a membership but what you just said is exactly right so if you look at medical training, it's virtually all system based, right? There's very, very little exposure to private practice. So by the time you finish, you know, seven, eight years of of training, right? And <laughs> on all you've and all you've seen is system medicine. Then it's very hard to all of a sudden think about, well, how do I do this the other way? And again, in the, you know, employment. Is, I mean, I'm I'm not saying it's for everybody. I don't, you know, there's there's some specialties where reality is, you know, some situations where employment, you know, is is you know better, or for a given individual, it may be better. But we want to have at least the trainees to see that there are options, right? So not just think that there's no other way. So that's always right. been my thing is really just to try to open doors. CON opens doors, non-compete opens doors, you know, so then it's up to the individuals to explore, see what's on the other side of the door and decide what's best for them, you know.
1: So when a, um, a doctor or a fellow or even a resident or a medical student, when they join Indy Docs, what does that afford them in terms of resources?
0: Well, a lot. So they can, you know, so we have a meeting coming up, which you're aware of, um, in, uh, in next month, and, you know, they can attend the meeting. They will be exposed to people doing what they may be interested in seeing how to do, you know, so you'll meet pediatricians who are doing this. You know, you'll meet direct uh, primary care people. You met, you know, diff- different models of how people are doing it. There are people who can be mentors. You know, I mean, um, you know, when I talk to the residents and the medical students, you know, so you know, pick somebody out that you would like, who would you like to be like, you know, in their professional life, in their personal life, whatever it is. I mean, pick somebody that does things the way that you would like to emulate. And that person will be very honored and privileged and happy that, you, you know, somebody thinks so highly of them that they want to know, <laughs> how do you do this, that, um, I mean, it's 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 a win-win for everybody, you know. So So trainees will be exposed to people doing things a little bit different than what they're used to, and then they can decide if that's something they want to pursue or not.
1: You, yeah, you mentioned the uh, networking and annual uh, meeting coming up on January twentieth. It's going to be in Columbia, South Carolina, at the Riverbank Zoo. And thank you for asking me to serve uh, on one of your panels. I'm excited to uh, to to join some fellow colleagues. So, a few sort of celebrity names in our our movement: um, Dr. Keith Smith and Dr. Lee Gross. Dr. Shane Purcell are going to be there. Uh, Call out some other names that you might remember off the top of your head.
0: There's um, the the ones that you mentioned. Um, We actually have a, you know, one of the highest executives in South Carolina of Blue Cross Blue Shield. People say, oh, well, why are you doing that? (laughs) Well, the reason is that um, Blue Cross, I think there's a great opportunity, honestly, for those who want to still participate in the third-party payer model. Blue Cross has acknowledged in writing recently that outpatient services procedures are um, more cost-effective when done in an independent practice than in a hospital-owned outpatient department. The data does
1: apply, does it.
0: Right. So I mean, we, you know, we've known that for decades, you know, but the fact is that if Blue Cross, which is the biggest player in South Carolina, has acknowledged that in writing, my approach is, okay, well, then help us be the preferred deliverers of of the care for your clients, you know, I mean, push the network, hopefully that we will create. Or the at least the in, the independent practices make those practices be paid the same or more, and make those the preferred providers rather than these big hospital systems, which um, cost. I mean, by their own accounting, are far less, more cost efficient and, you know, less value, you know, than than what independent physicians. So I'm actually, we invited them specifically to have that conversation, you know, because they're not going away, the systems aren't going away. And, and I've never, that's not my intent. We need hospitals for certain things, we really do, you know, but let's open doors again, for Different ways of doing things with what we have, you know. So, Sean Stinson is going to be there uh, from Blue Cross. Professor uh, Robert Burns is a um, professor from the Wharton School of uh, Economics who's written several books on healthcare, sort of the dysfunctionality of the healthcare system. So, sort of a macro view of the whole thing, which I think will be very interesting and instructive. We have a the town of Mount Pleasant. Mount, Mount Pleasant is a, a city right adjacent to Charleston. My office is in Mount Pleasant. I live in Charleston. I mean, it's literally 10 minutes away. But basically, the, the town has a health plan where they have hired two physicians. So they have their own clinic, for the town employees. So it's you know hired by the town and they manage all the primary care for these five or 600 employees, right? Mm-hmm. What's really interesting is that when those physicians now need specialty care, so let's say they have a diabetic and now they need an endocrinologist involved, for example, mm-hmm. they are then relying on the Blue Cross network, which is, guess what? The big hospital systems, right? So what we're talking about is Mount Pleasant has found is great. They're not the first, but they are doing it a really very good way, which is have their own plan for their for their employees. But where they lose control of utilization and cost and all that is when they now have to rely on this pre-existing hospital-wide network. So why not use or create a network of independent practices? So you use a a private practice, independent practice endocrinologist instead of the endocrinology department of a major hospital system, you know? So they're very excited about this idea, which we can then duplicate. I mean, every town could do that. That's right. I mean, you know, you could you could have. So again, our goal is to create this tent this network of independent practices. And from there, you know, we can do lots of things. We can have a group buying organization, you know, we can have um, legislative advocacy, we can have, you know, direct employment, I mean, direct contracting with employers, you know, so a you know, the local dealership that has 150 employees, you know, they are stuck in the big system kind of thing. So, so anyway, I'm very excited about the idea of opening up all these kinds of doors. As you mentioned, Keith Smith, who founded, you know, the surgery center of Oklahoma. So that whole price transparency model and, you know, for surgical pr- procedures, you know, um, and then, you uh, Try and think of some other people but we're going to have a panel on sort of alternative payment models you know you're going to be involved in you know employer contracting and you know those kinds of things we're also going to have a session on sort of practical kind of nuts and bolts kind of thing just uh how do you do this you know you know patient, if somebody in the audience says you know how did you do that or how did you do that you know whatever we're going to have a panel on that and then we'll have, you know, a kind of a networking hour, social hour, just to to let. That's people- going
1: to be um, a great use of everyone's time who's involved, whether you are. An independent physician or an employed physician kind of kicking the tires on going independent, whether you're an employer or even a politician or there's just so many people of different stripes. That we're are actually, sorry
0: to interrupt you, but we actually have one of our senators and one of our representatives that are going to be there. So they're going to do a little legislative update. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that is actually one of the things we're going to do there. So
1: Yeah, it's important for politicians to see the non-lobbyist side of what healthcare really means at a grassroots level. I mean, the, the local, independent, community-based practitioners on both the medical side and the pharmacy side and all of the specialty, you know, just really everything That weaves into that because let's face it, in Colombia, when they're at the legislative building, they've got lobbyists from from the big hospitals on one corner, and then they have lobbyists from the big insurance companies on the other corner, and then lobbyists for all the big pharma on another corner. And so, yes, giving them an opportunity to get out (laughs) into the real world and talk to the real people who have to operate under these uh laws and policies that they create, it's important for them to see both sides because if all you're doing is listening to you know the hospital system's you know head lobbyists and all of their underlings, then you get a very skewed concept of what healthcare policy really needs to be.
0: Yeah, so that touches on a really important point is you know when we were doing the CON you know process or repeal process we hired a lobbyist, you know, mm-hmm. we had contact with the legislators, you have to educate them. They will even kid about the fact that their knowledge base is, you know, one inch deep and six miles wide, you know, I mean, they know a little bit about a lot of different things. And when you get down to one particular issue, it's really important to educate them because I mean, they just ha- and they only know what they hear. Right. Mm-hmm. So if they don't hear from doctors, our side doesn't get represented, you know. And um, so that was what the, one of the big, big turning points in the CON fight was um, we spent a lot of time educating physicians. I mean, uh, educating the legislators. And once they understood what the deal was, you know, how it was that this was not in the best interests of the state, of the public, of physicians it was unanimously repealed you know
1: and so. that is incredible to have something like that unanimously was it in both houses unanimous wow
0: yeah
1: i mean the time had definitely come it's not like they they you know batted a thousand on the first time at bat i mean this has gone on for years right and they Correct. they they got up to bat the year before this and really got close, but struck out, right? Yeah. Um,
0: So, I mean, COVID, you know, put, put a major dent on that. Not the only thing it put a major dent on, but, um, but yeah. So, I mean, it was, it's a process. So, you know, people say, gosh, it took five years for, honestly, it was a dead issue for 20 years, you know, and it was enforced for almost 40 years. So five years, the timing was right. And, And all that was was right. Plus, when COVID put a pause on that, it just gave us time to work on the PPE thing. So, (laughs) yeah, that you
1: know, small wins is is all of the things that accrue to the benefit of the the bigger goal. But um, I mean, that's something that Andy Docs can be hired for by other states to sort of help. Them walk through the that same journey for however long it's going to take, and and the other forty. Well, there's not a CON in all other states, but let's say a couple dozen states could probably yeah. use your services and and pay pay you some kind of fee for uh, helping guide them. Maybe
0: they can just help the sponsor the meeting.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So yeah, so you're probably still seeking sponsors. And that website, <laughs> by the way, if people want to go look at the meeting that's coming up on the 20th, is what?
0: It's ww.indidocine doc d o c s dot com. So independent doctors, but abbreviated to indie docs.
1: Is is there anything I haven't asked you yet that that you want to get out there in the ether space.
0: You no, know, maybe the the idea of, you know, keep on mentioning this network, right? So, and by networking, I don't mean necessarily a social network, you know, but a professional network, an aggregate group of physicians that where we can leverage technology, you know, that we can so we're we're in conversation with uh, several companies about how to create similar to an MSO, but different. You know, I mean, there, there are tons of those around. There are ways that are really kind of innovative that can keep all these independent practices independent. We're not trying to create a multi-specialty group clinic or something. I mean, that's not anywhere near the the, the topic. But be able to take this two-doctor you know, family practice and this five-doctor ENT practice and this 10 doctor orthopedics and you know on and on and on each doing their own thing however being able to use the data from them and other states right so these companies are Mm multi-state to then be able to contract be able to show value to prove value and quality to third party payers for those who want to do that for practices that are purely cash based you know to be able to maximize you know just the profitability and efficiency but everybody still owns their practice. This is not somebody's coming in to manage the practice. It's somebody is helping all of us aggregate all this information to be able to compete with the bigger systems. And show what, I mean, again, whether you like it or not, I mean, Medicare is the one that sets the rules, you know, and everybody kind of follows. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to participate in Medicare, and again, you don't have to, there are ways not to do that, of course. But if you are, you can't do it by yourself anymore. I mean, it's very hard For an individual doctor to get fair reimbursement, you know, because they're competing against these giant systems that have giant expenses for which they are being compensated. So anyway, so the network thing is something that I'm really interested in is trying to develop a way for all these independent practices to be affiliated you know with a with some tangible benefits in terms of you know the practice themselves you know financially and legally and all those kinds of things so
1: there's a pretty decent sized toolbox that employers can pull tools out of. And we've danced all around these terms uh, in this podcast so far, like narrow networks and on-site near-site clinics and direct care and direct contracts and all of these things that are sort of new tools. I, I often describe plan design as if you were a kid in high school in shop class and your teacher put an engine on the shop table and said, take this apart and put it back together again and make sure it works. That's kind of like what we what we do and some groups that I belong to, like the Health Rosetta and Mitigate Partners, we deconstruct the, the traditional health plans. But then when we put it back together again, we're putting it back with newer, more efficient Components and so the engine works that better at, with l- fewer resources that need it needs to um, to use up you know it's, so it's more efficient more effective and by default it costs a fraction as much I think that if you're an employer who has ever asked yourself the question why do we have to do it this way like the status quo way why do we 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 keep propagating a what really is a failed system, why can't we, you know, improve this and modernize it, then this is the meeting for you. Because frankly, so Dr. Lee Gross is going to be on one of your panels. And he has a very compelling story to tell about being a physician in direct care, being at the right place at the right time where he was testifying in Florida on some, you know, for, for something with his state legislature. And it just so happened that the CEO of a community hospital heard his testimony and and was really compelled by it. it was like, I have got to talk to this doctor. Well, fast forward a few months, he he got a an awesome advisor, my buddy Carl Schusler. He they latched onto the fair cost health plan, which is structured much in the way that we've just talked about with all these tools in play. And today they have an awesome case study. I mean, it took a plan that was underperforming, overly bloated, you know, under a Buka model, and the trend line of costs has just gone down and down and down. I think they're into their third or fourth year of data. So employers that Maybe asking themselves, why do we have to do this this way? They can see an actual case study of real life people, current day problems that were solved, right. and so that that networking part is uh, really important. If you're an employer out there in the sound of our voices, you should absolutely get your ticket now, so that at the, at the very least, if you get to talk to Dr. Lee Gross and find out how they did it down there in Florida, it'll be you know, worth 10x the price of, of admission.
0: <laughs> the other thing that, that, that you reminded me that, that one of the things of the benefits of creating this, this tent of independent physicians is even for the practices to be able to provide healthcare benefits for their own employees, you know, which for small practices is virtually impossible. I mean, I used to provide health insurance for my employees, and then I provided 50% and then I provided on an individual basis because it got so expensive because my practice is so small, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there are ways to do that now, you know, through things that we'll explore at the meeting and through things that, that you're well versed in as to how practices can provide benefits for themselves, That otherwise are out of reach, or we just don't give anymore because they truly are just financially not feasible, you know.
1: Sure. We we've definitely innovated in that space. The self-funding, the concepts of self-funding have really come down market into small, very small groups. I mean, there are stop loss carriers that are kicking butt and taking names in even the 10 employees plus range uh where uh, an um, an employer with 10 employees could buy their own stop loss insurance and have a self-funded plan i mean that's that was almost unheard of 10 years ago right and then new things like icras and health sharing and all the kinds of innovative things that um not many brokers embrace that but I certainly do, and Tom Delegro, my friend Tom, that is also going to be on a panel that lives in the Charleston area. So yes, if you're a Charleston employer, come meet Tom. so I'm I'm truly excited. I think what you've begun is just mo- you know, a monumental thing that is going to allow physicians to take back their, take back the pride and ownership that that you know they once had back in the day when you know healthcare was good i think that we can return to that state where um the doctor and the patient really have the kind of relationship based medicine that everyone always wanted all along i agree well, thanks so much for spending time with me today. I will post all the links to the Indy Docs annual meeting coming up on January 20th in Columbia, South Carolina. Don't miss it. Thanks thank again, you. Dr. No, thank
0: you. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for listening to our important discussion. For more information about the work we do at Custom Benefit Solutions, visit our website at custombenefits.work.